0: This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel, and today I visit with one of the great makers of robots, magic, and joyful noise. He is a touring performer and author known for his unique brand, where he incorporates do-it-yourself electronics and robotics in his shows to inspire kids and their families to make and create without limits. Fresh from a run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and headlong into an off-Broadway run, Located at the intersection of New Vaudeville, inspired innovation and robot magic is the spectacular Servo Savant, Mario the Maker Magician.
1: That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free or captive to a mystery. The curse of creativity. La 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 la. <laughs> it's a great intro. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to see you.
0: You're welcome. And I'm happy to have you. You have to dive immediately into your response to the off-Broadway show because it just opened a few days ago. And what a great moment in life to take the stage in New York and bring together everything you're passionate about and lay it out. So how did the opening go?
1: The lead up was stressful. It's been a lot of stress in a good way. It's a hustle. What I love about what we do is that we're a full family business. My wife, my two kids, we travel like six to eight months out of the year. We do school assemblies and local theaters to those school assemblies. And so having this New York City thing is a very beautiful thing for my family because my kids are getting older and now we can stay home for a solid two months. So that's been part of the stress is organizing all this stuff, but that's a whole other story. But the truth is it's a co-production with the Soho Playhouse. So it's not just us magically showing up on stage and doing a show and then people are there. There's a ton of social media stuff that my wife katie is just a genius at we've been recording videos we've been getting the right images we've been adjusting our advertising on social media like what clicks are working what are not where do we put our money but the good news is at the end of all that is that we had a freaking amazing first weekend we sold out on the fourth show which is insanely huge we just picked up our check today (laughs) to the soho playhouse everybody's happy nothing more that you can ask for.:
0: I love it, and I want to give the audience some context that may or may not know you, which is that you do a, an extraordinary family show that has all of these elements, but at the core of it, even though there are magic tricks and there is electronics and there are inflatables and robotics, the central energy you have for audience engagement is really the secret ingredient.
1: I've always said this, I don't know where I heard it originally, but the audience creates the performer. I don't care how you twist it and whatever art form you do, doesn't matter. The people that are listening at the other end of what you're showing creates your best work. If you're listening well enough, you can. And for me, I naturally work better when there's a family audience. And a lot of the time when there's more kids in the audience than adults, it becomes even stronger. And that's just a natural thing for me as a person who I am. And I've ridden that ride like a skateboard and just figuring out these tricks that keep the rhythm strong and keep the audience engaged and make it feel fun. I think Jeff McBride recently posted a quote, when a human shows up to the theater or to a show, they're not looking to see your next door neighbor. They're looking to see a show. And I feel like I resonate with that because especially kids, especially kids, they want to see fun chaos.
0: Yeah, fun chaos is a great way to put it. And maybe I'm going to ask for a little, some Jedi mind tricks that you use, okay? I came to you, I had heard your name, but wasn't really that aware of you. And in the height of the pandemic, you were just killing it on Facebook with your engaging with kids in their home, in their environment, at on their couch. And you were doing kind of a kids, are, say the darndest thing kind of interviewing. And I could see the way you managed The conversation, especially sometimes things on screen can be disconnecting, but you would run them off to get their favorite stuffed animal or you would tell them, grab that pet, bring that pet in here. And it's such a funny thing to do in their house with their parents. You were a mischievous character that allowed chaos to happen in sort of a safe and fun way.
1: Yeah, and it's live, too. So it feels like the kids are like not just watching Netflix. We're interacting in real time. It's a very powerful thing, even for us adults. But yeah, you're totally right. Go get your dog. Let's see if we can make your dog do something. What's that noise? In the moment to break that fourth wall um, uh, is just another extra 15 seconds I have on camera where we can catch up with the kid or the audience. Yeah, know. and
0: it seems to me like you are making a giant patchwork quilt out of 15-second moments. Yeah. Because... You make a mistake. You can't find your hat. The robot doesn't cooperate. You know exactly where to put yourself in the formula to be half on the kid's side and half on the performance side. You're always coaxing them along like you're some kind of a Sherpa guide. Like, come on this way. Come on. Let's do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that all comes out of like desperation, right? Like our whole (laughs) income comes from our live show. And when we lose all our gigs and we're sitting here in the living room and everyone's home, I was like, there's no way I'm doing magic. Like, I was like, I grabbed my guitar, like my old pop punk days, and I had kids comment, have their parents comment funny words on Facebook Live, and we would just jam songs in the moment. And from that, it kind of developed. And you remember that time period? It was like you never would even dream that we'd have a time period like that in society. I mean, it was nuts.
0: No, and very, very hard for a performer. Part of that is why I called Katie. Your wife also manages and uh, arranges the logistics for all of your things. And I just was so intrigued by the way you treated the kids and how they responded to you that I was doing a virtual fundraiser for the Omaha Children's Museum and That kind of opened my mind to a different thing too. The only reason we were doing a virtual fundraiser is they couldn't have a gala and they couldn't have tables and they asked, how do we handle it? And I said, let's make our own TV special, but we'll just make it like a telethon. It was kind of a a weird pitch, but the notion was everybody can have their own party in their house. And if they want to go online and make a donation, what it did was instead of putting boundaries on who I could invite, I suddenly could invite you from New York, and a poet from Alaska, and people who would never even be involved with the Omaha Children's Museum. That gave me this sort of, okay, I want people who embody the spirit of a children's museum. And you did something which was great. This was essentially what you were doing on Facebook. I said, hey, what if we bring some of these families, kids into the museum safely while there isn't other people here? And sit them in their favorite part of the museum Yay. and you can yeah. interview them about it. The spirit of what you do that I really like is the stuff where there's a negative positive energy, which is that <laughs> that on camera you're trying to put the show on, and off camera, you're Nona or your somebody's yelling about an Italian recipe and you have to you have to <laughs> fight that struggle. You're creating a world, even though you're one dude on camera with cardboard boxes that do magical things.
1: Like And this is the craziest part of all this conversation is like, this is not what I do for a living, you know, like we are literally grasping desperately how to connect <laughs> on the camera while we're organizing this stuff. And it was amazing. Like we stumbled through these great little nuggets of gold. Right. And then you just kind of mine them out and, and rock them and milk them. And, and uh, it was a fun event and it was so genius of you like obviously someone like you who's have so much background in television and writing and all this stuff organized it so beautifully where there was just candy on every angle to make it a success and but yeah i mean i'm glad it's over yeah know? yeah me too and because like i worked so hard to get my live show to a certain place and we all have just all my heroes in magic and performance doing t- some type of zoom thing at some point and I think at the end of the day, I think Justin Willman, like, was kind of the king for, you know? Like, and like I said, it really just comes down to how much time you want to put into it. And I remember just the desperation of finding out that you should plug your Ethernet hardwire into your <laughs> computer to get a good connection for the show.
0: Well, isn't that, though, the evolution of things? There was a time 20 years ago when you had to take your business card down to a guy and he laid the print shop out. Now you're you have to be your own printer and graphics guy. You have to be your own IT department. You have to be, and look, everybody, nobody's intimidated by Zoom or any of these kinds of things now. So you can visit with grandma <laughs> yeah. over Zoom, which you right. could never imagine that technology being something that, that they would be interested in. But tell me this, you just sort of casually, I think Fliply said my pop uh, punk days. Yeah. So what do your pop punk friends think about what you do now? <laughs>
1: I hope that, you know, like some of them come out, like even this weekend, was kind of mind blowing. There's people that have never seen my show that I grew up with. Look, even my parents have never seen my show. They're coming November 18th. They've wow. never seen my live show. It's exciting and and uh, it's nerve wracking in a good way. Like, it's just a beautiful thing that I get to finally share what Katie and I have been working on all these years. And But it's the same thing, man. It was like I was screaming into a microphone, you know, <laughs> just not getting paid the same amount. Then I wanted to be a teacher. You know, I was gonna be an elementary school teacher. I went to school for that. And, and things just kind of organically, form. Katie really changed my life. You know, She really believed in me more than I believed in myself at a time. And we both quit our day jobs one September month, like 17 years ago. And and I was working for Philip and Henry. It was like an agency. They were super kind to give me work in the beginning. And then we kind of migrated out of that. It's been a long road, without a doubt. Well,
0: I like that you call Katie your co-adventurer yeah. because you guys are on a wild ride. It's yeah. really amazing. And then your kids, uh, Gigi and Bear, are in the show and seem to be instrumental in setting up and taking down and and have their own talents i know that I saw all kinds of artistic things going on there.
1: Oh, yeah. We're on this big kick right now. You were talking about business cards and the printing and the physical. I just love this angle of visual literacy, teaching my kids how to communicate visually. And my daughter, Gigi, loves to crochet. And how do we photograph these crochet items? Like, how do we create emotion with the silly video so that people can see your artwork in the best possible way? Like, it's like a whole new set of grammar that's in our life. Back then, like the typed word is great. Like that's of course it's there too, but like there's another angle too now that we have to, we can't ignore. It's another angle of education that is so vital to to the success of our children. Bear's got a spool of wire and we've been doing wire sculptures Looking at Alexander Calder's work, you know, and the idea of taking a spool of wire and to create something three-dimensional is a powerful idea. That visual communication. And I think that's a big part of the show itself that we're doing is everything is accessible. Like it's cardboard, it's freaking programming, 3D printed crap. Like I'm trying to like see these items that you see in your makerspace. that it's not just about coding a robot to go in a circle. You can code a robot to make people laugh. You can code a robot to make people upset. Like, you know, the Marcel, the monkey, like knocking the the ball down, you know, my little robot, like you could create emotion with robotics. There's poetry, there's theater, you know, it's all connected with these new items that are in our lives, like laser cutters, 3D printers, video editing with your phone, you know, like all that stuff.
0: Yeah. But it does come down to really a core set as a maker that even though you have technology and you have all of this advancement The fact that you continue to work with accessible cardboard, recyclable things, you made your own inflatables for this off-Broadway show, which are big. They're giant. Yeah, I
1: had a six-foot water bottle made out of Home Depot tarps that I, you know, used a clothes iron to, like, weld the plastic together with shapes. And, And there's a reason to that obsession. It's because, like I said, at the end of the show, I can talk about, like, everything you saw are things I made. It's like the spirit of Alexander Calder too, like Calder Circus. When you look at it, it's so humble, like the materials are so humble. And like he'd throw parties in his living room and make posters like a punk show, like come to my house and he'd animate these things. And that's like the spirit of my passion in life. Let's go to a show that we made ourselves.
0: Well, tell me how you came to combining all your passions into this particular thing. You have an artistic sense, you're a maker, you're obviously, did you have some electronic inspiration that got you into the robots? And how did that all then combine into the magic?
1: It was really just getting introduced to Robert Houdin, like the idea of these drawings of automatons that are in books that say they come to life. And the idea of like, I could step away from my suitcase and then things happen without me touching it, no sleight of hand I have to worry about. Like that blew my mind early on. And then right around that time was like around 2005, the Arduino got introduced to the States. It was from Bologna, Italy. Massimo Banzi like, creates this board that you plug into your computer and you can code motors to move. I mean, that's freaking revolutionary, man. For someone like me, like I'm not in college. I'm just passionate about creating something that's robotic and magical, that if I take the time enough, I can learn this, trade, build a circuit with just words and numbers. So that was kind of the rabbit hole. And- I spent two years, I practiced so much for two years learning Arduino code that like I would dream like the stupid matrix lights, you know, like (laughs) scrolling down the screen. Like it's just like the show, like do what you love. Doesn't matter what stage you are in your life. If there's a genuine passion right now, a genuine excitement for something that you wanna learn about, there's a reason. It's like a primal thing in your body, like telling you that you have a story to tell with that thing, that subject that you're excited about at this moment. And that's what's led me to the stupid inflatables that are six feet, you know, like, because it is kind of stupid and chaotic, but there's something beautiful now that makes sense now that it's in the show. But at the time, I didn't know when I was making it that it would be in the show. I just had a genuine excitement for inflatables.
0: <laughs> no, I understand. But here's the funny thing. I think calling it stupid is sort of um, well, missing. No, no. I'm saying it because we we all do that. We lazily dismiss things that we think other people might judge.
1: Yeah, yeah Maybe yeah. it's
0: frivolous. Maybe it's unlikely. But I remember having this kooky idea about the Last Supper having a TV dinner. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I could make a TV tray that serves 12, that has all the sections of carrots and different things. I made a fake commercial about it where it, it gets pulled out of a toaster oven and it just keeps coming and coming and coming and then it gets seated. And what's funny is it's kind of a funny notion or thought. Yeah. But when you talked about the obsession, I began to put together all these TV dinner trays. And once I made it, it really made me laugh. And then I had to subsequently make the box it came from, which was a big thing that was four or five feet long. And it's sitting in my office from this moment. And I think a lot of humor and a lot of creation, a lot of making comes just from the nutty desire to see a thing come to life. Oh,
1: dude, it's so genius. So what happened with this? Like you made the commercial and- Yeah, we did.
0: I think it's sitting on YouTube somewhere, but it was a part of another show that I had been working on. I think if you put in Last Supper TV dinners on YouTube, you can probably find it, but-
1: I mean, everything about that is like everything I love. You know, It's like Jean-Michel Basquiat redefining the Mona Lisa, like drawing it in his terms, identifiable concepts that we're all familiar with. It's like Andy Warhol with the tomato can. It's the same thing. It's like, but how do we make it? new again and i love that idea of like i mean it's funny because like the last summer's so sacred you know and then you're taking the tv dinner that's what i'm talking about like tom Sachs, the artist in new york city he made the nativity scene with hello kitty dolls but it was so brilliant at the time it was like almost like you felt guilty like enjoying it
0: taking the familiar and butting it up against something unlikely is a lot of what our mind does for whimsy the patterns different and then you go wow this is something, but it's also something else. You do that all the time. And the thing you talked about, which I think Katie gave you in a way, when you talked about how she changed your life, is she gave you the permission you wouldn't give yourself. Mm. And I mean that for anybody creating or making, you have to write the first permission slip to say, it's okay. It's okay to waste time on this, money on this, idle thought. Otherwise, no play would be written, No book would be written. Like People overjudge themselves up front. It would stop everything because that is the thief of joy right there, where people go, what are you wasting your time on that for? If you're surrounded by people like that, it will disappear. And if you're surrounded by people, just as you said, the support of the Soho Playhouse and places like that, where they go, we're invested and we're going to figure it out. And we're going to see, is there an audience for a thing that we love? I think that's all the original and creative folks. We've had makers on this show that I'm sure you know. Yeah. Uh, Adam Savage and amazing and Simone Yetch. I don't know if you know Simone. Of course. Of course. But so great to talk to them because their ideas are more, they're not nutty. They're inspired in that they want to see it happen. They're like, I don't know. I'm just going to test my ability to make this thing. I'm going to work with what found items I can. And, I really just think that that's kind of the art of survival.
1: Amen. I mean, I was going to say, that's the church I believe in, you know, and that's the church that I believe in even with my kids, like with this, this idea of like, we're studying books from Alexander Calder, who's from who died in like 1976, you know, like 78. And, and we're, we're making a modern day TV show character at a wire, you know, like, right. old fashioned to new principle. And that's why people like Simone and like Adam Savage, like these guys have pushed the limits of create something, imagine it and then and then create it. And I, I think that's what the show is about for me It's like I want the audience to understand that there's value in play like much more than we can ever imagine.
0: And you as well as Adam and Simone are all on the wave of the maker movement that is continuing to blossom because although we can do things digitally and although we have unlimited money to go on eBay and buy the perfect version of something, all of you have this great sense Work with what you have. Start now with what you can get your hands on. Don't wait. Don't say, once I get a few thousand dollars, I'll make it inflatable. No. Figure out the essence of how a structure works or mechanics work and just get in there and just build the parts out of whatever you can get your hands on.
1: That's the whole mantra of my show. It's like we talk about do what you love use what you have and have fun and we go into those three statements throughout the whole show that's like the takeaway when we do school assemblies like that using what you have is so important like even me like when i was younger like before this all started with 3d printing i had such a deep passion for it and i didn't have the money for a 3d printer like because they were so expensive back then and it was katie's parents on one christmas like they show up in a giant box And it's a $3,000 MakerBot replicator. They just bought it. They didn't care like, oh, this gift is a little extra for everyone. And everyone else didn't get as much for some reason they bought it. And from that printer, I printed all the core pieces that are at the Soho Playhouse these next and it takes that. It takes people taking risks in other people. I'm always grateful for those people in those moments.
0: Let me turn the page to your books, because I think that that's a place that if the listener has kids or we're heading into the holiday season here for Christmas, you have two books, The Maker Magician's Handbook and Robot Magic. And they're both just loaded with all the stuff that you've been working on all your life and you... the teacher side of you comes out and the idea that the pie is plenty big enough for everybody. You're not proprietary about your ideas or where you get it or how to do it. And they're really well laid out and they're beautiful photographs and it's very accessible content. And I don't know if they're at the local Barnes and Noble or where they are, but they're certainly online at Amazon and probably through your website, but they're cool, cool books. And when, when you made the first one, how much, Time went into bookmaking
1: yeah yeah we were really lucky during the pandemic to get picked up by two important companies like camp stores in new york city and make magazine we were like brand ambassadors for them during the pandemic and it's all through them it took like a month and a half or something like it was intense like i took all my best lesson plans that i had taught over the years when i was teaching after school programs with kids into the maker magician's handbook and i threw in one of the routines from my actual show in there katie we both did it together like we just hustled get the book done and what was so cool it was so much fun so we did like an advanced version of that with robotics called robot magic and that uses the arduino and fun loose projects with cardboard arduino servo motor what can we do to create a magic trick that's our angle is like we're, how do we make magic and comedy with robotics like and how can we make it simple for like a sixth grader, or seventh grader to tackle and that's what's in the robot magic book and it's been real fun because when we go to schools we gift these books to the library there and then have curriculum online dedicated to the book and also the show. So like before they even see me you know they have an intro to what we're doing. But yeah so it's been a real fun thing you know having those projects under the our belt yeah
0: So it's kind of a homeschool setup in a way, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's
1: got that angle to it. It's it's cool. And like, it was right during the pandemic that that happened. And, and now it's become a staple with our merch table and stuff. You can find it at certain Barnes and Nobles. Like you can get a Target online. You know, there's certain spots that it's distributed to. If you want to make crafts and like you have like second, third, fourth graders in your house, like even kindergartners, get the Maker Magician's Handbook. It's my best lesson plans. It's not just like weird stuff that I just threw in that's generic. It's like rewarding routines that you can do within 40 minutes and that kids get a reward when they're done doing it. You know, a lot of times with magic tricks or projects, it's so one dimensional, you know, like these are my favorite seven, eight routines.
0: Reason I mentioned it's kind of a homeschool thing is that there's a lot of curriculum for geography and other things. Sometimes parents are at a loss or how do we take this part of educating our kid? Uh, I know that I grew up touring with my children when they were pre-kindergarten, and we often went to museums, we went to aquariums. And there's a kind of a funny thing, which is, They didn't often go to the show because it was, they go to the hotel and go to bed and I would go do the show. When my son was in first or second grade and we were talking about what I did for a living, he goes, I know this, you go on vacation a lot. Because he only remembers the part of the traveling and going to the zoo. He doesn't know that each night I had to do something. Of
1: course, of course isn't that funny? And so and we're so similar, man, because like, I'm in the boat that you were in now, you know, where it's like, we were in Baltimore last week. And like, you know, we went to this amazing visual museum, but it was just really beautiful. It's all interactive. And then we were in, in Virginia, we saw the birthplace of America, we were driving through there. And like so every stop, we try to eat the food that's local to the right. area and study like even West Virginia, like I did a show in West Virginia. The guy who owns the theater is like, you want a pepperoni roll? And I'm like, pepperoni roll? I was like, no, I'm good. I was like, I see pepperoni rolls freaking everywhere, dude. Gas stations. Everywhere. He's like, the pepperoni roll is like the state food in West Virginia. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, there were Italians that were miners in West Virginia. And they invented the pepperoni roll so they could eat that at lunch so it would stay warm. And I was like, you, there are Italians in West Virginia? That's amazing. So anyway, like these kind of things take us through rabbit holes with our kids so we could talk about the history of, of the people in the areas that we're in.
0: Does your tour take you through St. Louis anytime soon?
1: Not right now that I can think of, but why? Talk to me.
0: Well, have you been to the City Museum? I don't think I have. It's the worst name for the coolest place. <laughs> the City Museum is your family. will be in, You'll be lost in there for days. Get out. So it is kind of a folk art Place, but it's a multi story building where, uh, at the time, a guy who was an artist and I want to say that he was a cement sculptor who made giant cement sculptures for all the city parks in St. Louis and stuff. This was a place that he collected things. All kinds of crazy stuff, school buses, hulls of planes, all kinds of things. Anyway, just anything that came in there got welded together. It is, it's is—it's probably the unsafest place in America, and yet I always think if people took in a four or five-year-old, you'd never see them again because oh, wow. there's holes in the walls and places they can go, and they can disappear down two floors, but columns of pennies that are glued together, a bathroom made out of the tins of Wonder Bread pans.
1: I'm ready. It down this is sounds amazing
0: the city museum I'm I know they have a website but I'm an I'm an evangelist for having a half a day there because it really for all the kinds of things that you do and all the things that are fun yeah it, it is a worthy escape I've yeah. been lucky now yeah. in this position to be invited to places like the national comedy center in jamestown new york wow. which is the museum of comedy that has george carlin stuff wow. and the smothers brothers and joan rivers and all that and only in taking the invitation saying yes to opportunities that are unique yeah. that you would not experience is really where it all comes from that's Man. so much better than things to me is is saying yes to opportunities yeah weird experiences
1: well that was like us with in wisconsin we took a couple gigs we accidentally stumbled upon a place called House on the Rock. I don't know if you ever heard of it. But oh, yeah. Unbelievable. It's three and a half hours long. Like, you just walk through room after room with mechanical orchestras. And, like, it, it's insane. Like, I don't even want to get into the the world's largest carousel, you know? Like, And so we loved it so much. And it affected our kids so much that we literally pitched to get work so we can go back again. And we went back this year. Those places are the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a place in San Francisco that's sort of the Museum of Automated gameplay or something. Heard which of is, that. Yes. Yeah, it is cool. And the thing is, it still operates by coins. So you go around and they have really early century pinball machines and games. And for you, that would be like the gateway to heaven, I think. When you talk to kids and you see them after the show, they must just go bananas to meet you personally. Because you are a living character, your personality and, and your humor and the tricks and all of that, it's very much what growing up on Saturday morning television was for me. But there were very few real life people. Right. But you're kind of got like Tigger energy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's chaos, you know, in every good way possible. Like, it's just been fun how the characters evolved over the years, you know, like just like walking on chairs, like on the seats, you know, in the show, like there's water being sprayed. I mean, it's like every angle possible that I can like interact and break that fourth wall, but yet maintain this chaos into structure that has a beginning, middle and end and and then able to be able to tell stories in the middle of the show where everyone's listening because we did the chaos. It's just this delicate thing of like uh, valleys and hills. But what's beautiful now is like at the end of the show, we throw out 400 clown noses into a 200 seat theater, you know, and (laughs) every kid has fistful of noses. That's the idea is like just, how do we take the show home with them and like the other thing is too is like there's sometimes there's a separation within in theater you know between the rich and the poor especially like being in new york it's tough you know it's so expensive so Katie and I put a post up a couple of days ago saying every child deserves a seat at the theater. That's why we do school assemblies. It's not always because like it's fun and glorious. We do it because we believe in what we do to bring the theater to the school. Because when I was in seventh grade, I played trumpet for Mr. Cassaro. He's like a four foot eight Italian guy. <laughs> and I loved him to death because I was Italian too. And we spoke Italian together it Was a connection. And we would go to Lincoln Center three to four times a year and watch the operas practice in the morning. Wow. And I never realized how much that impacted my psyche as an adult to be able to see the play like the the scenery moving and them talking in between and and so that idea like if we can open it up these doors in the theater where it's accessible for everybody so what happened was we put that post out the Soho Playoffs responded. They set up a page dedicated for people that want to purchase tickets just for families that might be having a tough season or like they really want to come and they can't, you know, and and we've already sold like 60 tickets. Yeah. And we just started like yesterday. There's a need there. like. And then we also hiring someone that does sign language so that we're going to have a full day dedicated for every community. That's the bottom line to me. There were Moments in my life, in my childhood, where I got to experience theater and it never left me. And like you said, it's not stupid what Simone does and what Adam does. It's these opportunities of taking your imagination and pushing it to the limits, you know? And how do we get there if we don't get to see the play
0: on stage? For me, it was the Omaha Community Playhouse. And while yeah. it was a community playhouse and there was often people that were doctors and lawyers in the days and mm. the designers and the directors, these guys all came from Broadway. They had all made a pilgrimage to Omaha and committed to making great theater. And yeah. the reason that I got to go was my parents, friends might have had a subscription subscription and not use their tickets that week. And they would say, oh, let's take some of the kids. That was definitely something that transported me was to watch theater. And that I think is maybe what I would say, we've mentioned robotics and magic and all these different elements, but ultimately you are using all elements of theater, the sound effects, the lights, all of that is a part of why your show is a success. And while there are only a few of you on stage, it fills the night. It fills the heart, it inspires, and it makes your mind think about what's possible. I'm just going to go back to earlier. You casually mentioned after-school programs. So how valuable do you see that being with kids after a day of academics? Speak to the power of the after-school program for me
1: there's people that that do this like five days a week, like their gig is to teach after school programs. It's not easy. You have 20 to 30 kids in a room, you're by yourself, and they've exhausted all their resources all day already. You (laughs) know, like, it's a beautiful song that you can create if you get into the rhythm of it, where you can really connect with these kids on a level that's like, just powerful we've had kids in my show like even this weekend like adults now 18 year olds saying i took your magic class mario in scarsdale new york when i was 11 dude you know i'm like oh my gosh
0: well that's very rewarding and i was just going to say the thing about your pop punk friends are probably bringing their kids Yes, totally. that's the most unlikely combination that nobody at the time you were jamming probably ever thought so let me do this let me support your dream about Every Kid Deserves Theater by letting them know that if they go to the Soho Playhouse, there is a place to buy tickets if they want to take their family, and there's another place to donate towards tickets. And because of your being on this show with us, I'm committed to buying a few tickets and donating Uh, them as well because I really believe in that. I thought that um, Lin-Manuel Miranda showed great leadership in his a ticket selling bonanza for uh, Hamilton. He often had that front row uh, set aside for folks for, you know, ticket lottery and things where people who are willing to wait to come get a ticket. That's pretty bright, especially when you have a wow. guaranteed sellout for as long as you could ever imagine that he always made a possibility for somebody to come to the show. And I did go to one of those ticket lotteries one time and I didn't win, yeah. but I watched that audience in the street at whatever hour that was, it was like 6 o'clock on the day of show where, where they stood out there, and when somebody got two tickets, they lost their mind. It was wow. amazing because it is absolutely like being a gift from heaven to to go to something that you can't afford, essentially. Without a doubt. I didn't know that Yeah, yeah, It's amazing. And he also did another thing that was really great with the original cast and creators, and I don't know the amount, but there was a point yeah. where – he developed that show with so many of his friends playing George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and so forth that that initial cast, I think, uh, shared in some of that similar to, I think, maybe what they learned from a chorus line where they were using. They share a little bit in the residual of that and that's loyalty, but it's also just extraordinary team building to say, I know that you're part of your heart is in this, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it says a lot. I mean, it says a lot. I mean, I think. There are core truths in the world, right? Like, and if you tap into those core truths, we connect to everybody. And that's what he's doing by doing that. And, and that. and the reason why it's so important to me is because we're at this tough thing where it's like we do theaters and then we're in schools. And like the schools are like almost the opposite of theater sometimes. Like These are school assemblies that take three years to have the funding to have a school assembly. Or like they haven't seen an assembly since before the pandemic. So you should see those schools when you walk in. Man, like that's the bulk of my show, is like understanding that teachers are the backbone of our country. Like these people that spend every single day with your kids and patiently shaping them in the way so that they can do what they love. When you see my show, if you come out, like that's the theme of it. I talk about my teacher, Miss Ronello, 1996, you know, humanities class. She introduced me to Alexander Calder, Andy Warhol and Jean-Michel Basquiat. It was the first time in my life that I, ever knew that there are people that do art for a living and they thrive. I grew up, I was first generation American. I I never knew that concept. And especially going to Edinburgh this past summer, going to Scotland and being at the Fringe Festival, there's 3,400 shows all going on at the same time. Everyone pitching their dreams. You just realize how valuable this art form is. And we got to see like over 40 shows, you know, like, and like, and it's just amazing how everyone has a story to tell and how beautiful it is, how they tell it, whether it's through comedy or magic or music.
0: And Edinburgh takes a better place of a month while the shows are going on.
1: Yeah, it was a life changer for us. We did 23 shows in 26 days. I've never done something like that before. So every morning, 10.55 a.m. And then I would be done at 11.55 and I had five minutes to strike. So there's people in the back with their watches on, you know. So I taught, I learned so much so quick. And you know my show, but it's like giant inflatables. It's like robots. And it was so cool as a family for all of us to come together. My nine-year-old son, my twelve-year-old daughter, like all of us together, packing the stuff into the dressing room, resetting it in half an hour, and then enjoying a nice piece of haggis right
0: that's funny though it is like a garage sale blew up after your show which is like all of this stuff has to be managed you know it's almost like get the thrift store to come with the truck and get this stuff but it is very interesting when you talk about the reset because a magic show is built on putting everything exactly in the right place before you start and even though you call it chaos do you know eric buss at all have you ever seen eric buss
1: Oh, I'm such a big fan. I've never met him, but I am such a big fan from
0: afar. Well, He's a he genius. he does a lot of great, crazy stuff, but he has this yep. symphony of shooting off spring snakes oh. from cans. I would look at it, and I love it, and I think to myself, this is insane amount of setup, <laughs> the amount of, of resetting snakes in cans to put into a thing. It's absolutely worth it, yeah. but I can't imagine yeah. doing three shows in a night at the Magic Castle.
1: Isn't that what it takes? i mean in any sense if it's physical form or mental form like he's out there doing late night and with those snakes like so like i always think about that kind of stuff it's like how far do you want to take this and that's like me with the inflatables too like it was completely insane for me to learn how to make an inflatable out of party city tablecloths like i was katie was looking at me like for three months i'm in the attic because that was the biggest space we had and i'm just popping tablecloths that are sealed and trying to figure out the science and then i realized i have to like layer it three times with each piece and you know, all that stuff, but now looking back on it, someone came up to my show on Saturday and they were like, damn, these inflatables are so beautiful, you know, and I said, yeah, but like in Edinburgh, these are so delicate that there was a toddler that sat on the giant heart and just blew it (laughs) over, you know, and it took me two days to fix it. So the the reason why they look beautiful is because they literally, they look like the petals of a rose because they're so fragile that you could stick your fist through them. There is that balance, just like with Eric Buss, It's complete chaos in one end, but then it's what makes it beautiful too, you know?
0: I saw on your website that you uh, had an appearance on Sesame Street. And at what point in your career did that happen? And was that like an amazing, unbelievable invitation? Tell Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was kind of like really early on. Like we were doing 12 years of kids' private parties, you know, in New York City. That's kind of what shaped the show. And so towards the tail end of that, You know, New York is big, but it's small. I did a birthday party for a father who does lighting on Sesame Street. Then I did two months later, another birthday party. He was like a stagehand or a camera operator. And then next thing you know, we get a phone call. Do you want to be on an episode where we're renting a theater out? You get to perform magic and we're just honoring makers. And my jaw dropped, you know, because I don't have a college degree, but that opportunity was like a diploma to me. And you should have seen the puppets on set, the way they displayed off camera. Like it looks like the MoMA Museum. Like they just have custom made holders, you know, for the arms and to make sure they're not wrinkled. And it's emotional thinking about it because these people, like people like Peter Linz, like they spent their life with a puppet on their hand. They're so freaking good at it. It's like watching a Picasso painting, like, you know, for the first time. It's like Charlie Fry balancing a spoon on his nose and flicking his head and catching it behind his ear. Like taking these ordinary objects that we think are children's play and turning it into a masterpiece. Yeah,
0: it's unbelievable. I've been lucky enough to become friends with Frank Oz, who is has been on this show. And Frank Frank talked about how they would have to stand to have their head and neck down to have that up. And they had to be looking at a monitor so they could see what the puppet was doing. And somehow translating from their body and head through their arm into their hand, essentially heart the reason kermit the frog and miss piggy whatever is because they are actually living breathing things they're no longer a puppet and it is putting that heart into it that is the real magic yeah
1: oh and seeing them with their neck twisted looking at this little monitor under a table while we're trying to organize six kids that are in third grade you know and like it's genius how they have it all working and it works so beautifully. And uh, Peter Linz, he saw me at Maker Fair too. And we had a FaceTime chat once where he put on one of his early sock puppets that he made as a teenager. And, and I cried, you know, I just almost <laughs> cried. Just, it came to life right on the camera. And you just can't look away. Like You have to look at the puppet's eyes because of how well the movements are with the it speaking. It's really cool
0: and i know that you focus on family entertainment and kids but there's a testimonial from Ozzy Wind who we know as a fantastic sleight of hand artist and a a great orchestrator of audience he manages his audience it's like it's just a it's like a fiddle the way he plays the audience and he's got a show running on broadway right now off broadway i guess as well but i just want people to know that None of this, even the magic you do, and even though you give some of the magic to the robots, there is a lot of advanced thinking going into what's happening in your show. There's a veneer of silliness in front of it all. And so therefore, people don't think that much about the magic working. Somehow you've personified the robot and when the robot makes the thing appear or disappear i think they in their head their subconscious says oh mechanically they don't know that you gave it the mechanics that you were the one with the soldering iron putting the heart into the cardboard puppet
1: yeah and that's what's so beautiful at the end of the show is tying it all in is that they are homemade and it's complete chaos and what's cool is like a lot of engineers that come bring their kids because they love engineering and robotics. and So it's a fun angle for them to see robotics programmed in a way that's like, you know, comedy and magic, you know, rather than like industrial tools and stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Let me remind them that the show, currently playing off broadway at the soho playhouse it runs through december 30th it's called robot magic and the tickets are available online your website where they can find out more about you is mariothemagician.com and if they're interested in finding the books that's maybe a way for them to go
1: yeah yeah it's yep mariothemagician.com we are at the soho playhouse every saturday and sunday we're doing two shows a day so 11am and 3pm if you're going to visit to go see the tree at Rockefeller, the display, come stop by early. Yeah, yeah. That's what people are doing. They're going to see the three o'clock show, go out, get a hot chocolate, go see the tree after, you know, like it's, it's the best time of year to be in New York city. I really believe it. Like November, and December, it's a different city. It's just, I mean, it's already beautiful, but it's just extra beautiful, you know, during those two months.
0: Well, I wish you success as you continue and to Katie and Gigi and bear, all of you are doing an amazing thing as a family and for putting that sense of play and that, permission to make and create out in the world. And I just admire you for it. Thanks so much.
1: Uh, It's been an honor to be on here with you. Thank you. Even during the pandemic, the way you've supported
0: me and my family, it means the world. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, with sound editing under the steady hand of Tucker Hazel. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp, with additional production support and sanity provided by Tony Deo and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot .fun as in cross your T's and dot your fun. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty page Stepping on a ghostlit stage A
1: circus of uncertainty Your call